Hi everybody and welcome to Wrong Term Memory. My name is Jack. And my name's Colin. And Jack, special show this week. We are joined by someone who's done it all. Um, he was in EastEnders, 21 million of us, watched him getting married. He appeared in two seasons of The Wonderful Extras. He's done pantomime pretty much everywhere. But on Big Brother and lots of other reality TV. And was recently just in the underrated Mr. Winner. And um, over the last 18 months, he's been working on becoming one of the elite quizzers at the World Championships. And we're of course talking about one and only Sean Williamson. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Colin. Hi, Jack. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thank you. All good. Good. Well, we're delighted to have you on, aren't we, Jack? Yeah, absolutely over the moon. Like, our show's called Wrong Term Memory. I don't think you've listened to it, Sean, but what we do is we sort of misremember things and we, we love facts and quizzes ourselves. And your new book, I have downloaded that. I was going to say I've read it. But uh, more technically, you sort of read it to me, you know, that's it, there we are. I just finished it today, actually. Uh, loved it. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. What made you want to get into into quizzing? I think you maybe started quizzing. This is going to make you feel old. The year I was born, back in 1985. Is oh, that yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm only 35 myself, <laughs> so I might, I might not look it. But so was it just something in your... Your local area or something you've always sort of been interested in? I think what it was was Trivial Pursuit, and I think it turned a lot of people onto quizzing. Uh, the, the the original board game, uh-huh. it, it came out in this country in roughly 84, 85. I got it for Christmas uh, 85 and uh, just got, got hooked on it, you know, and um, that, that led to me joining a pub quiz team. And I used to play every Tuesday night at my local, The Swan. And... Um, I got into a very, very good quiz team called the Unicorn. We won everything in our part of Kent. I think everybody hated us. And then um, it went on the back burner for a few years when I was in EastEnders. I had a young family at the time as well. But then towards the end of EastEnders and afterwards, I was lucky enough to be able to go on all these sort of wonderful celebrity versions of quiz shows like Mastermind. I went on Mastermind. I was lucky enough to win that. I did The Chase, uh, um, Eggheads, Pointless. So um, it sort of reignited it, really, you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I just thoroughly enjoy it. I'm just a very curious person. I didn't particularly make the most of school. I squandered my, my, uh, my, my chances at school, really. I sort of knew at the time that an O-level in maths or physics was never going to get me the sort of job that I wanted. I know it sounds cocky, but it, it's true. And um, I, I think I wasted my education. So I've always had this curiosity and a need to feel like I'm catching up on it, really. Sean, with the, the book, obviously the book's called A Matter of Facts, One Man's Journey into the Nation's Quiz Obsession. I've read quite a lot of autobiographies, and this is probably one of the only ones I've read, which is layered in such a way that you get to hear the story of your life, but you intercept it with a chapter about quizzing in between. So you get the story of you, but then you also get quiz questions and your experience in the last year trying to achieve this quiz championships. And it's a really, really good, engaging way of reading a book. And... I'm just not sure what, what made you think of writing it in that way, because it's, it's a new way to me, for sure. Yeah, I, I never, ever wanted to start a book. I was born in Maidstone in 1964, you know, and there's nothing wrong with uh, people doing that. I just didn't didn't want to do it. Uh, I, I, I like books when um, I, I often, whenever I read autobiographies, unless it's really gripping, I, I often skip past the childhood bit or, or skim read it, you know. So I didn't want people to do that with this. <laughs> so really, I, I yeah. It's primarily about about my my quest. I'll only use that word once. My <laughs> no, feel free. I know, yeah, yeah. My my journey. Oh, uh, that's, I, that's I, worse. <laughs> I won't use those words again. This 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 uh, um, ambition to to try and make myself the best quizzer that I could be in the space of a year. And as you say, as as things crop up, I do include autobiography. Hopefully, if it if it's merited, some things might be crowbarred in. I obviously felt I had to mention EastEnders. So that that might be a bit crowbarred in, but but most of it sort of comes a, a, as a result of of what happens during the quizzing. I knew about this quiz league. It's the, the, the British quiz league. So all of the chasers, all of the eggheads, everybody you'll know from television, who's a good quiz, is part of it, and many more people you've never heard of who are just outstanding. They've got very special brains. Uh, the first Saturday of every month, they meet in a variety of places. It could be libraries, the, the upstairs rooms of pubs, town halls, up and down the country. At 11.30 on the dot, everybody turns their paper over. He just got back to a school exam, man. It's freaky. And then at one o'clock, everybody stops on the dot and you hand in your scores. And that night online, it comes up where you finished uh, that day and you get your ranking. It's um, serious business, isn't it? 
It, it, it is because I, I, I learned that quizzing's uh, my passion, but it's other people's obsession. Yeah. You know, they're very, very into it. Half their brains must be quizzing, you know, uh, and, and they're very good at, at what they do. And I still never, at, at the end of the book, really get to the to the bottom of why. Um, obviously, they put in their time and, uh, and and their research and their homework, but I, I make the point in the book that why is Lionel Messi better than the centre-forward of, you know, um, Wraith Rovers? You know, and no, no disrespect to Wraith Rovers, I'm just using an example, because they could be the same height, weight, and have the same diet, but something magic happens in Messi's brain that translates to the foot that other footballers can't do. And I just think it's the same when someone's particularly good at anything, and in this case, it's quizzing. Their brain just works in a different way. What I really enjoyed about the book was it's sort of, you, you kind of mentioned crowbar things, and I, had a, I didn't quite think it was like that. I kind of thought it was very, it was non-linear. You know, you did. I'll take um, that back then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was it was non-linear. You know, you were speaking about, um, you'd be speaking about your time in the Navy, and then you would you would jump forward to EastEnders. And like I said, I, I really enjoyed that side of it. I enjoyed uh, the facts and uh, the almost playing along um, with, with the audio book because as you're reading it, you're going through all the questions that you you found difficult or you think that readers should be able to get. So it was almost like an interactive audiobook for me, like playing along with you. And that was something that, again, no audiobook that I've ever, I'm big into my audiobooks. I listen to lots and lots of them. It was just, it was just different and it kept, it kept me engaged for the whole, but I think it was like 10 hours long. Felt like you were just chatting away to me. It was very free flowing, mate. And who did you like pitch the idea to or did somebody... Did somebody approach you with this sort of idea that you could maybe do an autobiography or was it your idea? It's a good question because what it is, is I, I've tried my best to be a script writer. I wrote a couple of episodes of an Irish soap called Red Rock. I wrote a BBC radio play and I've written numerous training films for companies. But I've never quite got the break where somebody's bought one of my screenplays. I've come close, desperately close twice. I thought, okay, well, let's let's try something different. I know I can write. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the ability to write a book. But I, I'd started one years ago when I first left EastEnders, around about 2005. So I still had a, a few fragments that I wrote back then. And, and, and I looked over it again, and it, it had stood the test of time. It was okay. You know, I, I had to change very little of it when it actually ended up in this book. That's the EastEnders stuff mainly. So, I, so basically, I have a literary agent called Warren Sherman. So the two of us pitched the idea around the business and uh, a company yeah, called Octopus, who are a, a subdivision of, of, of Hatchet, who are massive, gave us a meeting. Yeah, and in the time on the way, we pitched it to him. Uh, that They agreed. Uh, several of the early chapters were like, nah. And I thought, oh, God, I've blown it. I just worked hard and eventually found a style. I think that's what you have to do in a book. I found a style. Oh, you found it, mate. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't there in the first couple of chapters, and, and they were... Uh, and, and even Warren Sherman, my agent, who's my biggest ally, obviously went, no, this isn't right. And I thought, oh, I've blown it, you know. But yeah, we just stuck at it, persevered. And then once the first few chapters were written, he just kept the style going throughout the, the rest of the book. And and, and thankfully, um, it was released on October the 1st, just in time for the bookshop to shut. <laughs> oh, <laughs> indeed, yeah. It's, but yeah. I totally agree with what Jack said. I bought the book, started reading it. I think I read maybe the first quarter. And then I switched over to the audiobook as well. And... I liked both of them in different ways. The audiobook was slightly better for the questions because when you're reading questions, your eyes automatically go to the answers quickly before you yeah, get a chance to think of the answer. Yeah. Whereas on the audiobook, there's a little bit more time and it does sound almost like you're in a pub quiz and you're the pub quiz master at some times, which is great. Because I make the point in the audiobook, I say, look, I'm, I'm going to leave a little gap after every question. You can pause it if you want, have a think about it and then unpause it and see if you're right. So... Thank yeah, you. no, it, it definitely it, it works. It feel good when you were uh, when I managed to get one that you you you'd put in the sort of in your hard your hard category, perhaps. You know, you <laughs> you would split them up into five, five, and five, and it was nice to get to get one or two of the more the more difficult ones. You mentioned sort of celebrity mastermind, pointless, the chase. What's your favourite game show to watch, and what does that differ from being on it? Have you got a favourite one to be on and a favourite one to watch? There's, there's different layers to that. One of my favourite ones to be on was Mastermind because you're on your own, so you can't let anyone else down. They can't let you down. And it's the purest form of quizzing on television because it's just you. You know, famously, it's based on the original producer was uh, uh, interrogated by the Gestapo during the Second yeah. World War. 
So yeah. famously, it's just the bright light, you, John Humphreys, the leather chair. So that's the purest form of quizzing on television, undoubtedly. There's no phone a friend, there's none of that. There's, there's, there's no gimmicks. You know a successful television show when it's lasted 30 or 40 years and it hasn't really changed. Yeah. It's the simple things work, you know, point, pointless. Once, once people got their head around pointless, it, which it took some people a long time, it's simple. I know people who still don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Colin might be one. No, I, think, I don't mind a bit of pointless. I prefer, I like things. I, one of my favourites was always The Weakest Link, purely because it was rapid fire question, question, question. Yeah. I don't like ones where they spend maybe five, ten minutes telling you why the answer is what it is. I want more questions rather than somebody showing off their knowledge. So I've always quite liked the chase for that reason because you get quite a lot of questions and for a, a totally different spear is only connect I really enjoy as well because you really, feel you've, you really feel you've achieved something when you get something right on that show I love only connects yeah university challenge is another one I'd love to go on but I never went to uni so uh, so that's that stuff that one up but I, 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 I suppose I thoroughly enjoy watching no I enjoy watching point the pointless the chase and only connect I, I I just love watching quiz shows you're a bit of a pointless legend like I think you've got how many pointless answers have you got in your th- is it three or four times you've been on yeah, I've, I've, I've got four trophies, but I've, I won the jackpot three times. The first time yeah. we didn't win the trophy because it was before they allowed you four different categories. They just gave you the category. Celine Dion singles or something, and we, we only knew the, 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 the famous ones, so that was that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. But, you know, it's um, – but Mastermind is the one, really, because uh, my, my subject was Richard Burton, the Welsh actor. And um, Jeremy Bowen, the war, the war correspondent, was on with me. Uh, Anthony Warrell-Thompson, the chef, who turned to me and went – I'm Richard Burton's godson. Because <laughs> his dad was at the Royal Shakespeare Company in the 50s. And the, the chair on the seat was empty. No no one had told us who it was. And it was David Blunkett walked in with his guide dog. Yeah, that, that <laughs> extraordinary. a memory in my head of just that time. It must have been such a, a big thing for this the Home Secretary to be on, to be yeah. on a quiz show like that. Like, did they, keep, did they shroud it in secrecy? Was it, yeah, yeah. You, Oh, totally. We said, we said, who is it? They went, we can't tell you yet because of security. And this massive guy walked through the door, followed by a, 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 a golden retriever, followed by David Blunkett. And I had to help him to the chair because there was a sharp drop at the start in between the chair and the floor. So I had wow. to help him to the chair. I was more nerve nerve wracking about that than <laughs> the bloody questions, you know. But he you trip over, bless. He did Harry Potter was his subject. How bizarre is that? Harry Potter. You um you took it really seriously over the last year, so much so that you actually got professional help in to try and improve yourself in various ways, hypnotists and probably one that I was most interested in was the memory specialist. I think it was at Mark Shannon yes. that you got on board and I don't want you to give away everything that's in the book, but it was really interesting some of the techniques he taught you and how beneficial it seemed to be because your scores certainly improved off the back of it. Yeah, uh, Mark's a very special person. Uh, he is a memory grandmaster and what that means is he's passed tests to to earn this title so i think he learned something like five packs of playing cards shuffle you know bang 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 and then recite what recite them i mean this is just that this is just a different league he mainly he says to me he told me helps people who are retraining in midlife to rewire their brain because a lot of people leave school and they never go they they're never in that situation again to have to learn and retain facts in most jobs you know particularly manual jobs you don't have to do that so a lot of the time he's helping middle-aged people retrain their brains. The most important thing he taught me was a memory palace. And a memory palace is date back to the ancient Greek and Roman orators who used to have to do these incredible speeches like two hours long. So they'd place things around the stage to, to jog them for the next chunk of their speech or they'd have a sequence of things in their heads. Sherlock Holmes uses memory palaces, particularly in the Benedict Cumberbatch series. Also, yeah. leave me alone. I'm going into my memory palace, and that's when I do all these weird things. Did you, did, did, have you seen the show? I've seen, I've seen the first I know episode. Dan Brown does it as well, where he yeah. put like post-it notes on all the things in his memory palace, and then pick them off in a certain order so that he can remember it, or he, he puts a, a story to it. It's something that I find endlessly fascinating, but I really can't wrap my head around it. I've never memories. It's, it's kind of like you need to practice. Part of my part of the show is that I forget things all the time. That that's part of the part of the gig that I try and remember these things and never can or, or get them sort of in the ballpark, but no not quite one hundred percent right. So it's something that I kind of understand that if you do practice you you can get better at it. But yeah, the, the memory palace te- technique did you put that to use? Did you find it something you find it useful, Sean? 
Yeah, I, I did. It can quickly lapse, trust me, if you don't keep on top of it. But that's my my problem. But for a while, it really helped. So he taught me. I'll tell you what, what he taught me. Don't ask me to go through them now. He taught me the science of, of the periodic table, the elements in order, because that's a real weakness of mine is science. I've always found science, maths. I've never got them in numbers. For some reason, my brain is, 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 is geared towards people and facts like geographical facts, historical facts, facts about people, social history. When it comes to numbers, I don't know if I've got some form of number dyslexia. I don't want to insult anyone who's got that. But it, it, the information, it, I don't retain it. Similarly, in, at school, in, in um, the sciences, I didn't mind biology because it's about people. It's about the body and it's personal. But physics and chemistry, forget it. I found it cold and dispassionate. So I learned through Mark uh, uh, the the periodic table, and it, oh, it came in useful so many times in the quizzes. There's always at least one question in the quiz that um, appertains to a chemical element, the number of it, or the history of the name. So yeah, yeah, it, you know, and, and you can apply this to all sorts of things. The second time it was Afri- African uh, uh, countries and their capitals. So anything you're interested in in uh, in learning that you want to retain for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah oh. I, I, I think nearly everyone could do it. Yeah. I was a, going to ask you if you've got a favourite element, <laughs> because <laughs> the, uh, from the periodic table is the element osmium, I think, which is the densest metal. Osmium, I, yeah. I yeah. think. And that's the only thing I can remember from I like third year chemistry. Yeah. I like hafnium, because it's the, it's, it's the old name for... Uh, um, Copenhagen or something, right? And it's that. Uh, what's that? About metal. So yeah, it is. It is. You see, what what triggered this was without going. I'll, I'll make this quickly. Is that I, I was the brainy barman on Al Murray's Great British Pub Quiz, which was a series that was on uh, um, a branch of Discovery. Uh, it, it never made it onto the main the main networks, and I, I had to do something where I had to do something called beat the barman. So a member of each team in turn would come up, face me. And Al Murray would say, right, name um, metallic elements in, in the, uh, well, let's say he'd, he'd say name Steven Spielberg movies. The other person would go first. So they'd say, uh, you know, uh, AI and I'd say Jurassic Park or whatever. And it was the first person to bottle it, lost. Yeah. Or the memory to run out. And, and there was one time when I'd learned all of the, all, all, all of the symbols in, in, in the um, uh, periodic table. And Al said, I'd like you to name metallic elements. And I hadn't learned what was metallic and what was gaseous and what was, so I let myself down, and that, that's when I decided to, to do the book, that and another. So oh, that's quite near the beginning of the book. Yeah, yeah, that's at the very start. And also, yeah. the, the landlord of my local pub asked me a simple question, and I, and I got it wrong. It was the most basic question. If you like to think you're a quizzer, it was so easy, and I got it wrong. And I thought, okay, let's let's plund, let, let's try for one year. Let's try and be the best quizzer that I can be. And, and that's what triggered it, uh, messing up on, on the Al Murray Great British Pub Quiz and uh, getting a really simple um, quiz question wrong. I think one of the things you mentioned about that Al Murray show as well was, I think in the pilot you were originally one of the team captains. Is that right? That's right. That show. And, and uh, I, I, I was showing off. I wasn't giving anyone else a chance, and they dragged me to one side and said, "Look, just shut up for the next round, please." Yeah, that was one of the things in the book that I, I was I kind of peeked behind the curtain. But I think you were so far ahead of Donald McIntyre that they said, "Like, just calm down and let them catch up." And I thought, "That surely this isn't how these TV quiz shows work, is it?" That's not how it usually is. Donald's lovely and he's brilliant at his job, but he ain't a quizzer. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like on, I think you've been on Celebrity Juice as well, haven't you? A couple of times, yeah. Yeah, so when Celebrity Juice, when he, when he checks the scores at the end of the round, he doesn't ever read them out because he doesn't know which parts are going to make the edit. So <laughs> that's why he never actually says what the scores are because he doesn't know at that point. And I remember when I found that out, that took a bit of the TV illusion and magic away as well. So I that's did enjoy that Donald McIntyre part. Oh, it's hilarious. Doing that show. It's really good. It's utter nonsense, but very, very enjoyable. Yeah, very, very, very entertaining. Um, just, we're going to do. We're going to. We'll stick a link in the, the podcast description where you can get your book. Okay, that's very kind. No, not a problem. Not a problem. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed it, and we've got a we've got a tight core of listeners, and they tend to. Hopefully, you guys are listening to our recommendations. I would definitely recommend going out and uh, and giving it a bash, or or even the the audio book. Sean, one of the one of the questions I wanted to ask you kind of about the quizzing as well, and I don't know if there is a definitive answer to this, so it's probably is a bit of both, but I'd be interested to see your take on it. Do you think the elite level where you were trying to aspire to, does it come down more to intelligence or memory? Or do you need the intelligence to then have the memory? How do you, where would you say that kind of lies? I would say to be a great quizzer, like 
uh, Kevin Ashman or Pat Gibson from the Eggheads. I think you have to have a, a, a good basic intelligence, uh, uh, and, and that isn't isn't you know insulting other people. Some people, people's brains, like we said, just work in different ways. So I think first of all, you have you have to have a strong intelligence. Then comes the homework. Because I suppose you have to have the intellect that can take it being crammed full of this stuff and retain it. That doesn't mean that they can, you know, erect a wall or, you know, clear a drain. People have different skills. Yeah. But I do think I do think their brains work differently. And, and I do think it is a it is a, it is a big mash of being intelligent anyway, cramming all these facts in and having the sort of brain that retains it, which is where the intelligence will come in on, on that type of intelligence. And then some some days the luck of what you've been swatting up on, cropping up in the quiz. When I, I was on the same table as Paul Sinner when he won the British Quiz Championships back uh, last year, August 19. God, I lost track of time. It's a nightmare, isn't it? And he said, some of the answers, he said two of them in particular. One was that it was the hairdresser of the year, someone called Worthington, and he, he also uses his hair products. And one was Britain's strongest man or the world's strongest man. He'd looked at the list that morning. But but he is he's an outstanding quizzer anyway. But I'm just saying. So you need you need that little bit of luck on the day. What what crops up? I mean, sometimes I've done terribly. Other times, great. There's been a couple of boxing questions or something. I'm a boxing freak, um, but I know nothing about American sports. So it just depends what crops up, you know. But then it's up to me to go away and learn about American sports. Yeah, if I suppose if you ha- if you kind of notice an area we are lacking, and that is the area to go and find rather than continuing yeah. to let it let you down. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, obviously, the book coming out just before the book shops closed in October. It's been a funny old year in terms of the last 12 months. I, I was in a situation where I do a pub quiz on a Sunday night in my local uh, pub, the Redhurst Hotel. But that actually closed down for maintenance and renovation about three or four months before lockdown. So it's been the, a real substantial break for right. me going there. But you seem to have kind of, I don't want to say embrace lockdown because nobody really should be embracing it. But you found a new way to use Zoom and quiz more often and do a lot of online digital stuff, haven't you? I did because, to be brutally honest, I thought uh, I need to pay my tax next year. You know, uh, um, <laughs> long time since I've been in EastEnders. You know, uh, I'm on my second marriage. I've got a mortgage. Every year I do pantomime, and to be brutally honest, I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. Thoroughly enjoy it, but it, it clears January's tax bill. Of course it does. Yeah, you pay your corporate tax on the first, and you pay your personal on the thirty-first. Gone. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? So I punted myself around as an online quizmaster for companies. Zoom Christmas parties, uh, Zoom Christmas quizzes. So I either just did a, a Zoom Christmas quiz for someone or I was uh, a portion of their party, you know. So by the time I come on, they're already well away. Then they do my quiz for an hour and 20 minutes and then they they carry on partying after, I, after I'd signed off. And that was okay. It was okay. I did 10, 15 of them uh, and I was very lucky. Sean, I've never watched a full episode of, of EastEnders, but... You're obviously on it for, for 10 years. You got your break as a paramedic one. That's right. And you couldn't drive, so you get given the paramedic two job, which had more lines. Then you yeah. get back and you, you got into the swing of things. It was 2004, I think, you left, and it was your choice to do that. Now, you, you seem like a, a thoroughly decent guy, and what seemed to get you was having to get the writers to rewrite storylines because you weren't meant to quite leave at that time but through your own choice you decided to leave and they they killed you off in the show any regrets about about leaving or the the fact that you were killed off any chance of ever going back it's a good question only uh, only financially because i I, I, you see i was very late to acting i went to drama school when i was 30 no i I, sorry i left I, i went to drama school at 27 left left drama school at 30 and I got straight into EastEnders. I was so lucky, virtually straight into. I did the I did the obligatory, the build and London's burning. I got into EastEnders for 10 years and I was so lucky. But what it meant was by the time I was 40, I'm halfway through my life, it's all I've done, do you know what I mean, as an actor. So I thought I, I just I just need need to do something different. And it was different then because now you'll see, I just wanted to do anything. The first thing I did was a panto. It wasn't like I, was, I wanted to conquer Hollywood or, or, or you know, I just wanted to do something different. These days, you'll see them on Dance on Ice. You'll see them in the jungle. And then they're allowed to go back into the show. I swear that would have done me. Yeah. If I'd have been allowed to leave, for example, I'm, I'm making up the show, do the jungle, be out for three months and come back in. I'd have been a bit refreshed, done something different. I'd have stayed for another three or four years. But it's all I'd done. And they said, no, no, you can't go anywhere. So 
I did force their hand. I knew that, that, that they'd written in for me after my contract was up. So they, so they wanted me to resign, but I took other work, meaning I couldn't resign. And that's what you said, Jack. That that the only thing I regret is it forced the writers to have a massive rewrite. And now being a writer, I understand the stress that would have put them through. But I'll never regret regret leaving. There's been years I've regretted it financially, but that that's no way to live your life, really. No, oh, you sure. yeah, money money helps you, but it doesn't make you happy. In the long run, you need to do stuff that engages you and makes you wake up in the morning, don't you? I, th- I think one of the next things that happened to you is one you probably never expected was a phone call from Ricky Gervais yeah. and the opportunity to do extras, which came. Not long after The Office, when him and Stephen Merchant were literally royalty, TV royalty at this point, and everybody was really keen to see what they were going to do next. You're probably the number three or the number... Behind Ashley Jensen, you're probably the next person in line in that cast, I would say. I think so, yeah. I I, I did... Uh, I think I did something like a, a 11 or something. But yeah, yeah. as you say, Ricky and Stephen were so hot after The Office. It was sold all around the world, uh, uh, different countries. I, th- I think there ended up being 30 or 40 different offices. You know, there was an Indian office, <laughs> a Japanese office, famously the American one with Steve Carell. Because everybody's got a David Brent in their office, right? Doesn't matter which, yeah. which country you're in, everyone's got a David Brent. You know? <laughs> if you don't, you are him. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, exactly. They would yeah. say, if you look around the room and, and, and you can't see the, the, the you know what, it's you. Yeah. Uh, which, which, whichever word you want to substitute for that. So, yeah, the phone call came through. I was in my garden. I'd never met them. It, uh, uh, wife come out, Ricky's on the phone. I said, no, no, this is a wind up. How did he get my number? I, I never did find out how he got my number. So he said, yeah, look, do you want to be in the show? We're thinking of, uh, we think that you'd be a good fit for this character. Uh, I went up and met him and Steve and they said, look, you're going to get the Mickey taken out of you, but we, we all are. No one's going to come out of this, you know, you know without having been brutally um, ripped, ripped to bits in, in, in an affectionate way. So I said, well, who else is in it? They said, Kate Winslet, Samuel L. Jackson. I went, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I thought, well, if, if they're willing to put themselves through it, I am. And the first series... I was just in the office with Stephen. I, I never left the office. I was in the in Stephen's office. He was my agent, my fictional agent, Darren Lamb. All my scenes were in the office. We shot them in two or three days. I left. I thought, well, that was fun. That was lovely. Didn't really think any more of it. Second series, bang. I was in all six and in scenes with David Bowie, and that was great. Yeah, amazing. That's, that's absolutely brilliant. Like, I was taking a wee, a, a wee gander at some of the highlights, let's call it, earlier on, and there's a cupcake outtake you muffin, muffin. oh the muffin that's it and you, you dive in to take a, a bite and what is it you say is it hello so you this wasn't scripted you see ricky and, ricky and steven always said if you can think of something better than better than us just just throw it at us. Yeah. i didn't manage it many times i did it a few times made them laugh but that was one of them so basically barry comes into the office his agent darren lamb he said uh i got the muffins so i said I'm <laughs> so i come in i've got big Plastic, not plastic. Uh, um, what they were gloves? What they called? Marigold. Yeah, marig. Exactly that. Marigold. They are plastic. Aren't they? Marigold gloves on my hands. I shake, shake Ricky's hand. Stephen lifts, lifts the, lifts the this succulent chocolate muffin up from my mouth, and I just go, "Hello, you." Makes <laughs> <laughs> a big bite. Ricky's character says, "Why are you eating it like that? Why aren't you using your hands?" I said, "I've been cleaning the toilet." But you shook my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Their writing is, is great. Their writing is great. You can't go wrong with writing like that. No, you can't. Ricky Gervais is quite famous for his corpsing, as they called it. So oh. how many takes did that take to eventually get it? Well, that was a good one. That only took about three. But I think right. there's, there's, if, if people want to look up online, the one with Patrick Stewart... All her clothes fall off. Yeah, mm. they uh, they fall off onto the ground, and she's scrabbling to get them back on again. But before she can get her knickers on, I'm... <laughs> she's uh, they fall off completely. She's scrabbling around to get them back on, but before she can get her knickers on, <laughs> what's yours about? Do you mind me asking? Uh, well, it's um, uh, how best to explain it. Um, you've seen me in X Men. I'm so sorry, Patrick. I can just think of it coming. I'm so sorry. She's scrabbling around to get them back on, but before she can get her knickers on, I've... <laughs> I'm walking along the street, and I see this beautiful girl, and I think I'd like to see her naked. And, uh... I'm so sorry, Patrick. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do, other than leave the scene and let you talk to a teddy bear. No, no, you see, I can do other stuff as well. For instance, I'm riding my bike in the park, and uh, 
this policewoman says. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, uh, ah, and uh, she's covering herself up and... uh, um, and she's trying to cover herself up, but I've I've seen everything anyway. And I get back on my bike and I ride off on the grass. Okay, so it's you going around, sort of seeing tits and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> ask me again. Ask me again. Okay. And I score the winning goal, and they carry me into the dressing room. And there's Rooney and Beckham, and then Posh Spice walks in, and their clothes fall off instantly. Well, what about this? I'm a sort of James Bond figure, and I have to go to Iraq to rescue some hostages. And I get there, and they're all women, and they're naked because their clothes are all rotted away. Sure. Um, (laughs) Well, what about this? I'm a sort of James Bond figure, and I have to go to Iraq to rescue these hostages. And I get there, and they're all women, and they're naked because their clothes are rotted off. And I rescue them anyway, and I get them into the helicopter. I rescue them anyway. I get them into the helicopter, and even though I'm flying the helicopter, I can sneak a look in the mirror and I can see them, you see. And, uh, and one of them is bending over. Um, you see... Um, You also stuck around for The Invention of Lion, um, Ricky's movie. I think you played his father in that film, and you were also in Life's Too Short as well, weren't you? Yeah, they put me in Invention of Lion, I was the worst burglar ever. He said, my dad was the worst (laughs) burglar ever. So you cut to me walking along in broad daylight with a bag saying swag on it. (laughs) And a cat. I try and break into Steve Merchant's house. It's it's very funny. Life's Too Short was brilliant because I got to work with Les Dennison and Warwick Davis and Keith, the late, great Keith Chegwin, which was a great honour. And my, my favourite episode, I think, of anything I've ever done since I've been an actor was the one, uh, the Easter special, where Warwick Davis takes myself, Les Dennis and Keith Chegg went out on the road as a cabaret act. You know, yeah. it, it, it was so much fun to film. <clears throat> it was very funny. Cheggers is brutally, uh, he, he's such a good sport because in, in the show, he, he falls off the wagon and he gets all hammered. Yeah. Streaks through an audience and... Again, if, if anyone's looking at a great example of Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's work, I think the Life's Too Short Easter special is is a good one. There's, yeah. there's, a scene, there's a scene, it's worth the price of admission alone, where Liam Neeson turns up at their office and auditions uh, to be a stand-up comic. It is hysterical. Yeah, that's a good one. It's very underrated, that show. People don't classify it in the same level as some of the other stuff. But that, and also Derek that he did on Channel 4 as well, was criminally underrated. People people that watched it loved it, but some people, because it wasn't laugh a minute, didn't enjoy it as much. But he doesn't really do anything bad, Ricky, in my opinion. Everything's always good. Afterlife is exceptional. So, oh, you know, amazing. So he's, he's just got he's got the golden touch, but he works hard, you know. There's, there's no the secret to this is he works hard. He could afford now to just sit on a... So uh, you know, a, a Pacific Island for the rest of his life. But it's the work that matters to him, and the good work. I think Afterlife that the, the, they just aired the last uh, episode of Series One, and about two weeks later on Twitter, he's, he, there's a photograph of the script. There's Series Two. Yeah, and he's yeah. doing he's doing his first it's ever first. Yeah, it's a work ethic that you can't buy it. You know, you've got it or you haven't, and he's got it. You know, and that's why he's successful. You know, yeah. one very specific scene I want to talk about from Life's Too Short is when yourself. Uh, Keith and Wes are sitting on the couch discussing how you're going to talk. Yes. <laughs> and it goes round and somebody's going to take pills, somebody's going to um, put the, the car hose in the window and then Keith Chegman says he's going to basically get into one of those wanking accidents. <laughs> again, again, felt like that must... I don't know how you held yourself together. I almost thought you nearly lost it. Yeah, one tiny wee bit. I could nearly see you lose it again. But again, was that just just great fun to be to be sitting there and discussing such a dark subject, and then having, but it being funny that really really dark humour is that something that you're a fan of? Like it's something that I really enjoy that sort of black humour. Well, I, I think two things to that. One is yes, but two is 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 when when you start giggling classically is when you're not supposed to. Uh-huh. That, that's what as you know it's called corpsing. You're not supposed to to laugh at something, so it makes it worse. 
that you're laughing at it. And then the first couple of times it happens, even the director's laughing along with you, everyone's laughing. By the fifth, sixth time, no one's laughing. Because they're getting behind schedule. You know, there's just you and the other actor laughing. And it's (laughs) incredibly uncomfortable situation you'll ever it's just a really weird sensation i suppose people people have had it they might have started suppressing a giggle at a funeral for whatever reason that's the nearest that i can come to it that people would would come across in everyday life you know i think that added to it jack exactly what you're saying because it was such a you know this guy's talking about wiping himself off the face of the planet but it's so funny you know wanking related (laughs) hanging you know that that's that's what makes people laugh. Oh, uh, it's just physical comedy as well. Just these actions and everything. Everything about it is is, is class, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> um, great loss, Keith. He was a wonderful man. Yeah, yeah he really sure. was. You did quite a lot of different reality stuff as well, Sean. Far far too many to mention. Um, but the one that I wanted to ask you about is Big Brother. Um, yeah. I was obsessed with that show. I think I watched every single season of it. You spent twenty three days, I think, in the show. Um, you were quite. Quite, quite cruelly evicted with a day to go out the back door as well. You didn't even get your moment with the fans going out the, the main door and up the stairs. What was it like being in that house? Because I, I don't think unless you've done it, you can really understand what it's really like. <clears throat> it's really weird. <clears throat> Excuse me. So on on, on, on day one, you, you, you're picked up in a car uh, with blacked out windows and, and you're driven to a hotel in Watford. Uh, you're bundled out the, at the hotel, uh, the, the car with a blanket overhead like a sex pest at court. <laughs> um, you're taken up into this room on a landing and in every room is somebody from the cast but there's a room in between you so there's you empty room someone else empty rooms you can't hear each other talking you live in that room for a whole day with your sponsor which is some kid fresh out of university who is there to make sure that you get your, your food that you're happy they go through your suitcase they confiscate anything that's branded or put black tape over it you get visited by a psychiatrist, you get visited by a doctor, you get visited by the producers. You have breakfast, evening meal, uh, breakfast, lunch and evening meal in that room. The following morning you have your breakfast and your lunch. You're in there a day and a half. Then you get taken to another hotel, which is nearer to the film studio. It's more like a holding pen. Then you go in, they said, you're first in. So I went in first, great, and they gave me an earplug. They said, we're going to give you a secret task. Yeah. So... I went in and it ruined the first day for me because I had to pretend to be the most nervous housemate ever. And, you know, it's not a nice bit when everyone's getting to know each other over, over a glass of champagne. I was having to run around acting like a tit, pretending I was hyperventilating. Like, no, I really resented it. You know, I, I didn't do very well and basically I failed the task. So they said, you have to nominate someone tonight. I didn't even got to know them. So I wasn't going to nominate, you know, anyone who I knew or, or anyone who, who I knew of. So I, I picked on the most obscure American that I could and there was a few of them in there. And she was a bloody mafia wife. Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> She's looking at me for the first week in the run-up to the election, looking like she, she wants to, well, buy me a horse and then cut its head off and put it in my bed. <laughs> so that, that got it off to a bad start. But I think the worst thing for me was two things. One was that you never knew what the time was. So when you went to bed at night and you weren't allowed to until midnight, the lights only went off when the last person went to bed. So if you've got a couple of the kids messing about in the hot tub, they go to bed at four, the lights go off at four. This is to encourage uh, um, animosity. Yeah. And then in the morning, you wake up and it's pitch black and you think, what's the time? Because in normal life, you wake up, it's four in the morning, you breathe a sigh of relief and go out, roll over and try and get back to sleep, right? When you wake up in there, you don't know if it's six in the morning, you don't know if it's 10 in the morning. So some mornings I woke up and lay there for three hours. And other mornings I woke up to the bright light and the music, the rap music. And this is modelled directly on American prisons. So... You, you were very disorientated. That, that I think, was the worst thing. I can handle people. I can handle people trying to wind me up. I got a lot of respect, particularly from the kids, a lot of respect from them. So I was very lucky. I, I really had to confront someone. The problem with that is I only did positive things, and it all made the cutting room floor. They don't want positivity. Yeah, no. There were people being evicted sort of saying, I don't know what I'd have done without Sean, and he's organising the games during the day. You never saw one. See, I, I, can, I can totally appreciate that because years ago I went for auditions for Civilian Big Brother in Glasgow and it was in a hotel and it was all like group exercises and doing role plays and doing various other bits and at the end of the morning session you had to nominate the people in your group who you wanted to leave right. and I got I got absolutely no nominations right? so I thought oh wow people like me and that was me cut at that point yes, and the people, exactly. that, the people that I didn't like all got kept on and I was away so I totally that, that does make sense I've seen that first hand 
That is spot on because I never got nominated by anyone in about eight evictions. No one nominated me from the group. It was the public who voted me out because they thought I was boring because I was never on screen. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's a vicious cycle, really. I do enjoy doing them. Sorry to butt in, Jack. I do enjoy doing them because you can do one or two things. You can, you can, <coughs> wait, for, you can wait for the phone to go. You know, I, I realised that I, I've typecasted myself. No one's going to offer me Uncle Vanya at the, at the old Vic. I've done that to myself. So you can wait for the phone to go or not or you can accept jobs that you think are going to be interesting. You know, when, when I'm on the porch, when I'm 80, if I ever make it, you know, and the sun's going down, I, I'll remember being on a barge with John Prescott <laughs> for a month. You know, it was brilliant. I'll remember being in the Big Brother house. I'll remember, um, I'm, I'm just about to come out of something called Celebs on the Farm for MTV. Yeah. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life, working on a working farm in Yorkshire for two weeks during, it wasn't during a lockdown, it was late October, but oh God, I was ready to get out of the house and do something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. One, I felt grateful. doesn't hurt feeling grateful every now and again. So every time I got a job last year, I was grateful. And I think I think that's a good thing. You recently in a, a show called Mr. Winner yeah. uh, on BBC where you play uh, sort of main character Leslie Leslie Winner. You he's what mate? His fa- written, father-in-law. Oh, is it father-in-law? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's kind of it's like a farcical comedy. I, I quite I've watched a couple of episodes of it. Quite enjoyed it. But Colin is a big fan of the writer Matt Morgan. Yeah, I, I'm i an absolute Matt Morgan fanboy. I've been listening to his podcasts for about 12 or 13 years. I, I, in my head, he's my best mate. So I was just curious to see what, what it's like to work with Matt because he talks quite a lot in his podcasts about the writing process and how difficult he finds it. And he does have lulls and times where it doesn't get there. I'm just curious to see what it was like on that sort of set because he's not going into a lot of detail about what it's actually like on set with him. So I'm curious. Okay, uh, first of all, I love Matt Morgan. Uh, not only is he a really nice, intelligent man, I think he's a brilliant writer. He was the lead writer for Russell... Russell Brand, yeah. It was, it was him and Russell's radio show that I kind of learnt of him. And then that became podcasts and various other bits. Now he does a podcast on his own. Um, he gets Noel Gallagher on most weeks and they just chat for yeah. two hours and it's fantastic. I mean, I mean, you, you're the expert, Colin, but you might call me out of turn, but has Russell, Russell Brand been as funny since Matt stopped writing? No, he's, he's turned into everything that he hated. A, 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 a polemicist, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, Matt, when you see Russell Brand, Brand being brilliant back in the late 2000s, you know, uh, that's Matt Morgan, you know. Yeah. I know Matt's got that mind and he's a very underrated writer. Fabulous. So every day he was on set. He structured it around, uh, you, you might not know this if you're under 40, but there was a show called Some Mothers Do Have Them years ago. Frank Spencer, I used to love it when I was young. Exactly. Michael Crawford being quite brilliant as Frank Spencer. <clears throat> so Matt Matt always had an idea of, of almost like a, re, a rewrite or remake of Some Mothers Do Have Them. So that, that was the seed of it. So that Leslie Winner is 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 a, like a man child who goes around causing havoc, but without meaning to or realizing it. Right. But it sort of got a life of its own. It it, it became yeah. a bit different from some others to have you know. But I, I thought he blended in beautifully the old fashionedness with with Spencer you know Spencer Jones who plays the lead being quite a, a modern a modern cutting edge comedian. So I, I think it ticks all the boxes. The Guardian enjoyed it. And Ali Ross of the Sun enjoyed it. He picked it out as and he doesn't like anything or anybody. So he, he picked it out as one of his favourite comedies of last year. The only reason it isn't going again is because the BBC's budget got slashed by by COVID and things like that. And it's yeah. such a shame. But fingers crossed, when things get better, I think it deserves a second series. You know. Yeah, he, he said that himself. He thinks it's something that may get shelved for a while and come back later. So fingers crossed because he's a, he's a good guy because he's my mate, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and I had a wonderful curry one night of him, just the two of us, and like oh. like you, know, I was almost like a fanboy. Picked his brains, and and you know, it, it was it was it was a lovely meal for me. I probably bored him. But, uh, <laughs> it was great. He's a great guy. Yeah, one of the other things in the book that I like, there's there's two portions of the book that really one one I found really interesting and wanted to do, and one really made me laugh. The one that I found really interesting was talking about downtime on EastEnders. You played a game called De Niro. Yeah. There's a TV show in that. There's a there's a quiz. It's a great game. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you want a quick game? Yeah. Okay. Do let's let's do it. Right. So I, I'm going to start with a, a Jack Nicholson film. Jack, you then have to name. Hang on. Let, let me get this right. I'll start with a Jack Nicholson film. Then then you have to name. No, I say Jack Nicholson. Jack names a film that Jack Nicholson was in, and then you, Colin, have to name somebody else who was in that film, but not okay. Jack Nicholson. 
Okay. So let, let, let's just keep going. So let's just go. Right. Jack Nicholson. Uh, Batman. Um, oh, that was the old Batman. Michael Keaton. Uh, what's the one where he's in <laughs> Michael Keaton films? But, but Beetlejuice. Yeah, we're we on a rider. E.T. No, that's Drew Barrymore. Um, Winona Ryder was in... Oh, what was Winona Ryder in? So, so at this point... I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, Colin would take a D. The game's called De Niro. So yeah. Colin All right. Like Donkey. We used to play a game called Donkey. Right. Know. And then when you spell... When, when you get six wrong and you spell De Niro, you're out of the game. But if you can get... If somebody by accident says a film that De Niro is in... That's it. Right, okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, I really like the sound of it. It's a good game. I liked it when I was reading it. Me and my screen dad, a uh, 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 lovely Tony Corner, we used to sit in the corner of the, of, of the uh, Queen Vic and play it in between <laughs> in between their scenes. Some people would, would join in sometimes, but they soon got bored. We, we were like film fanatics, really. You wouldn't think so. We'd be floundering there for Michael Keaton. But yeah, so um, yeah, that's what we did to pass the time. Yeah, De Niro. Yeah, the, not a strong point of many films. No, it's it. not usually, is it? The um the other one that proper made me laugh out loud in the book yeah, was great, yeah. the story by Mike Reed and um when you were performing and you you borrowed some material you could say Mike was a larger than life character I, I liked him a lot and he liked me uh, he didn't suffer fools gladly okay and he was a big guy uh, so if he was having a bad day I'd steer clear of him but he was a lovely lovely man and he was very nice to me so. He was a comedian, so when he, when he was the, the landlord of the Vic, you know, in between takes, he'd be telling jokes. Everyone would love it. He'd get, get like a free Mike Reed concert. <laughs> but they were all going in my head. You see, all these jokes going in my head. So then I leave the show because I set fire to the car lot to try and get rid of the Mike Reed character, right? And I'm out of the show for a good six months. So I thought, well, what the hell am I going to do? Phone wasn't ringing with acting work. So a friend of mine had a nightclub and he said, do you want to be a compare? I said, what's a compare? You'd go out. He said, I know you can sing, <laughs> sing a song, tell a few jokes, bring on the support act sing another song we have a break everyone has chicken and chips in a basket go out sing another song ladies and gentlemen and bring on the star act the drifters david essex uh, I, I caught the very end of the golden age of cabaret you know what i mean it isn't yeah. there certainly not on, on the small level of, of the clubs so one night i turn up who is it tonight it's your mate mike reed i think oh god i hadn't seen him for months so i go out i sing a song i tell a few jokes bring on the support act mike reed what are you doing here I said, I'm your warm-up man, Mike. He went, oh, nice one, nice one. <laughs> I hope you ain't been telling any of my gags. I went, no, Mike, don't be silly. Of course I had. Of course I had, because <laughs> they were the jokes in my head. So he goes out to a, a standing ovation. Uh, you know, 10 minutes in, he starts to tell a joke, and I'm listening on the channel. I'm like, I've told that joke. So he tells the joke, and it just ends up with nothing, nothing. He went, there then, either that joke's become pony overnight, or someone's beaten me to it. Someone went, yeah, Barry told it. <laughs> he said, well, he ain't my colleague no more than, is he? He used, he used fruitier language than that. And then he picked it up again. He was going great guns. And then he started to tell another joke I told. So when he came off stage, I hid in the broom cupboard. Like in a cupboard, yeah. He's <laughs> a big man. Nightmare. And he knocked on the door of the cupboard. Someone told him, he knocked on the door and went, I'll see you back at work, joke thief. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think well, one of the things we wanted to do, if you don't mind, is Jack has put together a quick quiz for us, if you fancy a, a quick quiz. <clears throat> I can only fail dismally. Go on, go for it. It's Jack's quiz. I know you're excited. I have kind of tried to follow uh, your, your sort of rules with how to sort of stage the questions. So we're going to have six questions each. So 12 questions in total. Okay with that? Right, so just to find it, here we are. Right, we'll start with entertainment. And this one is uh, for you, Sean. You're going to love this. In Family Guy, the mayor of Quahog is voiced by which former Batman? Right, well, it's not going to be Val Kilmer. Um, it's not going to... Oh, oh, okay, is it? No, I think he's dead. It's not Adam West. That is Adam West, yeah. He's actually called <laughs> he's actually called Mayor Adam West in the in the show. Yeah. I've never really watched it, so I'm chuffed with that. Is that the one with Brian the Dog? It's yes. Brian the Dog. Yeah. I, have, I have seen it, I've just never seen the mayor. I can't, no, I have seen it, but anyway. Oh. Right, so there we are. Colin, who won the first series of ITV's The Masked Singer? Oh goodness me. I didn't watch much of that. I watched the first yeah. episode and then realized it really wasn't for me. 
Um, oh, goodness. No, I don't know. I've no idea. Can you steal, Sean? Is Nicola from Girls Allowed? It was. Um, back to you, Sean. We're moving on to geography now. On an ordnance survey map with a scale of 1 to 25,000, how many inches represent one mile? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, three. Oh, incorrect, Colin. Take a guess. Four. No, short on that, two and a half inches it is. Ah, okay. To one mile. So nobody got a point now. Colin, what country has the longest coastline in the world? Geography is the like, geography is my science to the, for you, Sean. I am not good with geography. Um, I've got no idea. Um, I'm going to just, this is probably a stupid answer, but I'll just say Russia because it's so big. Yeah, so I would have to guess at that myself. It's Canada. It's Canada. I was going to say that. It's probably, probably, yeah, it's oh, Canada. sorry. <laughs> 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 I believe you're going to say it. <laughs> Give them the point. <laughs> Canada for a reason because they've got so many islands because they have to trace around all the islands as well. They've got these massive islands at the top. Right. And also, there's a thousand. There's over a thousand and seven hundred islands in the St Lawrence Seaway alone, and that's where a thousand island dressing comes from. That's where it comes from. That's that's a good fact. I like that. I told you my memory was bad. Uh, I told <laughs> He's you forgot his own quiz. myself. Yeah. We will move on to arts and literature then. Uh, Sean, what is the name of the fifth book in the Harry Potter series? Oh, good question. Uh, I don't... Oh, God, good question. Uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban. Nope. Uh, the Order Colin. of the Phoenix. Yeah, Colin likes Harry Potter. Well done. And Colin, you're going to love this one, my man. What is the technique of painting in which small distinct dots of colour are applied in patterns to form an image? Um, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. No, I could be here all night and I wouldn't know that. Sean? I think the most famous exponent of this was, um, what was his name? He was called Jack Jack the Dripper. Um, bloody name now. Uh, is it, is it a- action? It's pointillism. Oh, no, fair enough. No, fair enough. Science <laughs> yeah, uh, and nature, they're getting a little bit tougher now. Yeah. Sean? What is it called when a solid matter transitions to a gas immediately without having to pass through the liquid state? No, v- vaporisation. Nope. Colin? Steam. I don't know. It's sublimation. Oh, God. Right, Colin. This is, this is far higher, brown than our usual sort of chat, Jack. Where are you doing? What have you done here? <laughs> uh, this animal's fingerprints closely resemble that of a human, so much so that, in fact, that inspecting its fin. Hello friends, Colin here. The looks, the charm and the brains behind Drug Clear Memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listening pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've now introduced a £1 tier where you get absolutely hee-haw other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. We've also reduced the price of the two top tiers uh, by a pound on each of them just because we appreciate life is a little bit shit just now and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people then we will so check us out at patreon.com forward slash wrong term memory and you'll be able to get early access to shows ad free and lots of bonus content a print side by side with a human print might make it impossible to differentiate wow. what animal is it. Wow. Colin. Oh, this is my question, is it? Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, right, okay. So this animal's got really the most similar fingerprints to humans, basically. What animal is it? A kangaroo? No, but no. Uh, decent guess. Any ideas, Sean? I'm just going to have to go with our nearest relative, which is uh, chimpanzee. Uh, the koala bear? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, who won the World Highland Games Championship a record six times? The World Highland Games six times. Is this an individual? Yes. And this is the, the, the one held at Braemar, is it? The toss in the cable and all that sort of thing? Uh, well, yeah, I'd imagine so. <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> okay. well, it's the World Highland Games, so... Okay, uh, Jeff Capes. That is Jeff Capes, yes, well done. We're getting there. Right, Colin, if you think about this, this is a, as Sean 
would put it a sort of a mind tickler, right? Think of this for a wee second. Uh, the groundbreaking Stoke Mandeville games for the Paralysed in 1948 featured 14 male and two female competitors in which sport? 19 what year, sorry? 1948. 1948. Stoke Mandeville games for the Paralysed. 16 competitors. The obvious answer is basketball. Right, how's it obvious? <laughs> Because wheelchair basketball is a thing. Wheelchair but... basketball, right? Okay, I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a thing back in nineteen forty. Any ideas, Sean? No disrespect to the ladies, but I thought they 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 might be coxes, and if if people are just paralysed from the waist down, they could still row. Uh, it's archery. Ah, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, history, Sean. Which medieval queen was married to both Louis the Seventh of France and Henry the Second of England? Oh, uh, um, El- Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yes. Colin, I actually put this one in for you because it's a quite a tough one, but I'll get confidence in you. Who famously duelled Alexander Hamilton on 11th of July 1804, resulting in the founding father's death? You, oh, you know I'm obsessed with this, with this musical yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. I put it in, mate. To oh, it the Alexander end Hamilton. At the end of the first song in the show, he says, I'm the idiot that shot him. No, it's not going to come to me. You've made a mug of me here. I'm not going to get it. Can you get this? Is it Aaron Burr? It is Aaron Burr. It is Aaron Burr. Lisa is going to murder me for not getting that right. Oh, no way. You love the musical, Colin. Have you seen it yourself, Sean? Yeah, musical. No, I haven't yet. No, I haven't haven't had the chance. It's on on Disney Plus. If you've got Disney Plus, it's on there. And it's it's excellent. I've never seen anything like it. I'm not a massive musical fan. I, I do like the odd musical. Um, I was in Guys and Dolls at school. That's it's just something else. It's a whole. It's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. In fact, the, the only time I've ever come across Lim Manuel Miranda is in uh, his episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I'm a massive fan of. Oh, I love it. We, we we both love that, don't we? It's fant- it just gets better and better as well. The musical Fatwa. Yes, I was in that. The, <laughs> the, yeah. the the latest season, the episode with John Hamm was probably one of my favourites of all time. When John Hamm was following Larry. I've still got five of them to watch, so... Oh, get into that, definitely. Before we wrap up, Sean, are you working on anything at the moment? Are you... I think you're working on a a second book, maybe, and there's a few uh, projects that I found in IMDB. I don't know much about them. Cold Sun and the Blundering Idiots. Do they ring a bell? I I won't go into them, because what, what, what happens with things on IMDB is you often say to a producer or a director, yes, I'd love to be a part of it. They put right. it on IMDb just to get interest up, right, to okay. money together. So you see these sort of big casts on there, and often those people don't even appear in the. Um... In fact, Toya told me I worked with Toya recently. She told me that um, she said, "Oh, I look forward to seeing you on on the set of that thing." I said, "What's that?" I can't. I won't even say the name of it. And she went, "Well, that, that they had all the names up. I, I'm one of them." So they've been using my name to punt it around, <laughs> right? And I'm not in it. <laughs> so what are you doing then? What can you tell us about? What's your plans for the? Second book, and always doing that, really, is called yep. One for the Road. So basically, it's my last chance of getting fit and losing my beer gut before I get too old to get seriously fit. So what it is, I start the book on 15.9. It's a work in progress. I'm, I'm at 15 now. But I want to go down to 12 and a half stone. That's done again through meeting people like you said, Mark Shannon. I, I don't know where I'll get hypnotised again because that will just be the same ground as the first book. But I'll try different different ways and means to lose the weight, dieting, meet a nutritionist. You know, is brown bread really better for you than white bread? You know what I mean? Let's look at some ingredients. Xylitol, fake sugar, is that really good for you? So things like that. Again, putting in bits of autobiography and stuff that didn't make the first book. And then the second half of the book to shift the last bit of weight is a walk from Land's End to John O'Groats in diary form. Fantastic. That's good. That's an R1 that we'll definitely be interested in. Promoting neuron disease. Fantastic. Good. Um, Have you got a a deadline you're working to for that one, or is it still the early doors? No, I'll be brutally honest. We have to wait and see how a matter of fact pans out. You know, the sales have been a bit slow because of the the bookshop situation, but uh, uh, I'll have a meeting with the the publishers uh, in in, uh, very soon, probably near March. Uh, And then I hope to start the walk in May, as as long as all the travelling restrictions have been lifted. And then I'll finish the walk. I'll probably have to break off to do work. Ideally, I'll do it in one hit. But if work comes up, I'm going to have to do it. Finish the walk sometime in June, July. And then um, the book should then be ready to um, roughly the same release as two years ago. in uh, October the 1st. That was, that was, no, it was last year. What am I talking about? 
So hopefully the release date will be October 2021. But that's all uh, stuff. dreamland at the moment. I'm plugging away hard on it. And <laughs> I'll keep the same styling and the same way of weaving in and out of autobiography and funny stories. And It works. It's, uh, the book's fantastic. We'd thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. And your profile sky high, obviously, after performing at Joe Biden's inauguration last week as well. <laughs> so <laughs> You should remix that. Yeah, it's been done before. But it's quite clever, it? yeah. People who, who haven't seen that, what happened was four, six years ago, I sang at the World Bowls Championships final to warm the audience up at Potter's Resort in Norfolk. In January 17, uh, Jake Wood, who plays Max Brandon, has spliced it together to make it look like I was singing at Biden's inauguration. So, um, it all, you know, you, you know when you check Twitch, you've got, you've got 700 new followers. You know you're in the news for something and you just hope it's something good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, if it put a, people, a smile on people's faces that day, then, then I'm willing to be... Uh, to, to be the person who does that, I don't take myself too seriously, so it's it's all good. Sean, just want to give us a wee reminder to uh, what your book's called, where we can get it, and stuff like that. Okay, thank you so much. So the book's called A Matter of Fact, so it, it's it's my year spent in the world of quizzing, but it's also autobiographical. The only dodgy review I had on Amazon was from a woman who bought it, thinking it was it was a quiz book just full of questions. <laughs> so she was quite disappointed, but that's that's the only dodgy review I've had. So basically, the, in the situation at the moment. It's, uh, you know, Amazon or if you've got a, a loyalty club card with Smiths or Waterstones, every every um, store stocks it online. So whatever floats your boat, really. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much, guys, for um, letting me come on and talk about it. 